how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Former Entertainment Weekly editor Mark Harris was an editor and journalist for publications like The New York Times, Fortune, The Guardian, and Slate, until he dared himself to submit a book proposal on his 40th birthday. These days, he's best known for his entertainment-based books, such as Pictures at a Revolution, Five Movies in the Birth of the New Hollywood, Five Came Back, A Story of Hollywood in the Second World War, and his latest book, Mike Nichols, A Life. In this interview, Harris talks about his career as an editor, how he chooses subjects worthy of a book, such as Mike Nichols, known for The Graduate and Charlie Wilson's War, how he uses the bird-by-bird -bird approach in his writing, and how he and his husband, Tony Kushner, known for Munich and Lincoln, encourage each other as writers of different mediums. Currently, Harris is working with Turner Classic Film Festival to introduce Nichols' first movie, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and a documentary called Nichols in May, about Nichols' life before he became a director as an improv comedy group this weekend. Just, uh, I, I loved it from the time, literally, that I knew how to put words on paper. Um, uh, uh, but I just, uh, you know, it, it, it just always felt like the thing that I was was good at and the thing that I was supposed to do. And, and you know, that was true as a kid and as an adolescent. And then in college when I worked on my... Uh, school newspaper um, but I would say by the time I was um, 17 or so I had kind of uh, made up my mind or in a way been prompted to make up my mind that that it was what I wanted to do. So what were you first doing did you start with journalism and kind of move towards books or what was the first couple of years like for you? Yeah definitely I mean the first the first more than a couple of years was uh, journalism I was I was a, a journalist from the time I got out of college to uh, uh, really, um, I, I did not, 
start doing books until I I dared myself to write a proposal um, for my 40th birthday. Um, so before that, uh, I was at Entertainment Weekly for a really long time, like 15 years, first as a writer, but most of the time as an editor, working with writers. And, um, and so I, f- I feel like I kind of had the best of both worlds in, in magazines. I, I got to be a writer and then much later, I got to be a freelance writer and write all kinds of different places after I started writing books. But I also got to be an editor at a time in the history of magazines when that was really, really fun. What was the delay? Was it the daunting task of something so big or was it just, uh, you know, putting yourself out there in a different way or what was it? Well, it's funny that you would call it a delay because I didn't think of it that way. Um, and I, I think I still don't. It was I was very happily living my life throughout my 20s and 30s as um, a magazine writer and magazine editor. I thought of myself not as a, a delayed book writer, but as a journalist who was pursuing the stuff that I really loved to do. And it took me a really long time before the appetite to try something longer uh, and try something more historical in particular really seized me. I mean, working at Entertainment Weekly for all those years, you know, the job of that magazine, at least when I was doing it, was to be a kind of weekly snapshot of the moment, of whatever was new, of whatever was interesting, of whatever people were talking about or whatever we were talking about or whatever we thought people were talking about. And I really, really enjoyed trying to capture things as they arrived, but it did start to leave me with a real hunger to um, do something else and and to say, what, what would it feel like if I took a really, really deep breath and a long view and gave myself a huge amount of time to explore something deeply? I imagine it's also different because most of those weekly stories were truly bite-sized stories, a few thousand words. How did you, you know, choose the first subjects for your book, which are mostly old Hollywood, but how did you make the decision that this deserves at least a proposal? Well, um, the, the standard I used for myself was because I knew that it would take me a long time to research the kind of book that I had in mind and, and probably a long time to write it too. So the standard I used for myself was, um, is this something that I think I could be interested in every single day for months even for years and also it i i was looking for something where i i thought i knew enough so that i could write a proposal but i didn't know everything else that i didn't have the whole book in my in my head already because one thing i thought was you know i want whatever i find out whether it's via archival research or interviews with the people involved um to be something that could potentially enhance this book. I didn't want to come up with an ironclad thesis and then worry that what I found out was going to undermine it. I wanted the idea for my book to be flexible enough to accommodate anything I found out. And that's the way I've, I've operated with um, all three of my books. Did you find the first book like drastically harder to do or did you see it more of like a, a bird by bird approach of breaking it up into sections? Like how did you tackle this, this much larger scale thing? Well, I'm very, very much a believer in the bird by bird approach. Um, but 
one piece of information or one piece of uh, advice that I got that I discarded because I don't think it's actually useful is a huge number of people uh, told me, just think of your book as a set of magazine articles and every day you're writing a new magazine article. And I've read books like that and they tend to read like magazine articles strung end to end to end. I think a book is a really different thing. It's a really different psychological thing, um, both in the research and in the writing. You have to get used to the idea that you're always in the middle and you know to start the day in the middle of something and to end the day in the middle of something and to feel that maybe if you're lucky you took one or two further steps in the right direction but you you never have the satisfaction of being finished uh that's a real kind of emotional challenge and it was something that i had to get used to absolutely on the first book but but each book has presented um something that, that my previous experience didn't prepare me for. I mean, the first book, it was just the idea of writing a book and doing all that research and doing the kind of complicated multi-plot line structuring that, that that book took. The second book where I couldn't interview anyone because it was set in uh, the World War II years uh, was really my first experience with being a straight up historian, uh, where I couldn't rely on my journalistic skills to give me what I needed. And this book, the Mike Nichols book, was my first biography, uh, my first sort of single plotted, nobody to cut away to uh, book, um, and my first book covering, you know, a span of 83 years. So they've all been um, complicated and challenging, and whatever the next one is, I hope it will be too. Was that coincidental that they were also different in style or was it like you were just, I assume you were just following a subject you were interested in and then you figured out how to do it along the way? I was I was following subjects I was interested in, absolutely. Um, but I was also consciously, I mean, after Pictures of a Revolution came out in 2008, a lot of people asked me, um, what year are you going to do next? What, what five best picture nominees are you going to do next? And um, I won't, I can't lie, I looked at it. I mean, I thought, you know, is is there uh, another year where I could do this? And and I just really quickly came to realize that I didn't want to find a way to do the first book again. I wanted to find something new that that, that really mattered to me. I didn't want to feel like I was walking in anybody else's footsteps, including my own old footsteps. So why specifically Mike Nichols for this third book? What, like among all the people and, and that type of thing that maybe you grew up watching, why this particular director? Um, I thought he had a really uh, unique career and there was a really unique story behind the career. I mean, for one thing, I had never really written about theater before, except passingly in Pictures of the Revolution. And I was interested in the fact that aside from this um, 50 year movie career as a director and parallel to it, there was a 50 year um, stage career where he, where he was arguably like a greater influence and, 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 you know, a more sort of revolutionary presence in a way than he was in movies. And that both of those things were preceded by this completely other career as, as uh, a stand-up performer, not really a stand-up performer, but a comedy performer who changed the notion of improv um, I, I really just wanted to understand how all those pieces fit together. And I wanted to understand more deeply than I did who the person was who would live that life and what, if anything, prepared him for it. 
for, for maybe some writers listening to this, they're thinking about tackling a, a biography like that. Would you say you knew 10% of his life or less, more? Where would you be at when you literally pitched the idea? Where were you at versus the completion of the book? I would say that I knew um, uh, 10 to 20% of his life and closer to 50% of his work although I got to know it all a lot better. And, and you know what, that felt like a really good balance to me. I think um, people uh, often make the mistake when they are thinking about undertaking a book that they have to have a, a totality of knowledge of the subject in their heads before they start. Um, that, that you should only write something that you're already an expert on. And um, I don't think that's true at all. You should, you should know the things that you know about someone that fascinate you. And you should also have a list of the things you want to know that you don't know that, that, that might enrich your understanding of this person. I think, I think uh, it's, it's really okay. And probably even really useful to go into a book with the, uh, list of stuff that you don't know being considerably longer than than the list of stuff that you do know. So what was some of the challenge of this new book? When I spoke with um, Jonathan E, he wrote a book on Muhammad Ali, a biography a couple of years ago. He said one of the things he would do is maybe look to autobiographies and personal accounts for feelings and emotions, but look to maybe third party for actual plots and factual type things like that. Did you notice any type of things like that or advice you might could recommend about writing a biography? Um, I think if you're writing a biography where uh, the person was alive recently enough so that a lot of people knew him, mm -hmm. um, you, it's, it's really instructive in some ways to look at what was said, including by those people at the time of the events they're talking about, and compare that to what they have to say now. Sometimes um, their memories dim and get a little ornamented and stories turn into victory laps, but other times um, the, in the intervening decades, they develop a really interesting perspective on things that maybe they didn't have in the heat of the moment so you you have to constantly try to uh balance for yourself your understanding of what might be true what might be the truest account of something without ever failing to acknowledge that a lot of times you just don't know you're 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 going to guess but it's also okay in a book to say i don't know there are differing accounts of this um here are all of them <laughs> Did you also um, feel the need to like put a rather large bibliography, anything like that? What, what might be different about this book um, as opposed to some of your other books? I wasn't, I wasn't going for size or anything in the bibliography or the notes, but in all of my books, I, I feel a need to be very, very specific about where I got things from. I want the reader to have that information available because I've read so many show business books. Um, especially biographies, I have to say, that have no notes in them at all. And it just feels completely unre unreliable from a research perspective when you get something that's just an account and you have no idea where it came from. It's like you're walking along and suddenly you thought there was solid ground under your feet and there's just air. So I never want to do a book that uh, makes people say, well, where on earth did he get that? And, and doesn't provide them with a clear answer. A lot of people don't know how much work goes into magazine fact-checking. I imagine you've got a ton of that under your belt. Is there any other um, 
bits of pe like information or stylized things about your writing style that changed from your work, maybe between age 30 and 40 at the different magazines? Well, I certainly, um, I started as a fact checker. So that's always been really important to me. And as an editor, you know, I, I had a lot of years to think about um, structure. Uh, but the strange thing about my career is that probably from 30 to 40, I did almost no writing. I was almost completely an editor, except when I was rewriting someone else's work who couldn't quite get it there themselves. And, and I think that that gave me a lot of um, pent up, desire to write and it, it it made writing not boring uh to me at all because i had all of those years when it wasn't the thing that i was doing and and um uh during the, those years weren't wasted it for me in any way because first of all i loved editing and second of all editing taught me a lot about writing and a lot about structure mm. so you're married you're married to tony kushner who's also a very famous writer do you guys have any type of like professional relationship or do you bounce ideas off each other anything like that <laughs> um sure all the time <laughs> i mean uh we we uh he talks about what he's struggling with i talk about what i'm struggling with i read him my stuff because he's a great listener and he catches a lot of things um and has interesting really thoughtful questions but i think it's very useful for the the peace in our household and and for the the strength of our marriage that we're both writers but we don't write the same kind of thing um we're sympathetic to the the struggles that writers go through but but we're not um you know working in the same uh ditch 24 hours a day well, tell me about this uh, event coming up. You're working with the Turner Classic Film Festival. Tell me kind of what you'll be doing there and how that involves your book as well. Well, Turner Classic Movies is uh, having its big film festival uh, this weekend. And uh, with um, one of their hosts, Dave Carger, who I've known for a long time, I'm introducing two of the movies, um, a Nichols and May documentary and uh, Mike's first movie, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, and I'm, I'm really uh, happy that these are the two movies that ended up in the festival because it's not always true that um, the best way into a director's work is uh, their very first movie or the very beginning of their career, but I think it's an ideal place to start with Mike Nichols. And, um, you know, you get a double dose of it. You, in, in, um, with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you get his first movie, which is a masterpiece. And with the documentary, you get a taste of um, who Mike Nichols was before he ever started directing. Um, so I think if you want Mike 101, the first class, the, the intro session, um, the TCM Film Fest is, uh, is this weekend going to be a really great chance to have that. Okay. And just maybe last question, is there anything else from your book, any small story or surprising anecdote about Mike that people might want to hear and uh, entice them to go pick up the book? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a really, that's, that's tough. I mean, yeah, the book is full of enticing anecdotes. Um, uh, uh, I don't know what to tease people with about that, you know, uh, uh, th there, there was one movie that he directed that was such a miserable experience for him on the set that at one point he was at the craft services table and someone said, how's it going? And he said, it's Vietnam. I know how I got in, but I can't seem to get out. So uh, if, you, uh, if you read the book, if you want to know what um, movie that is, read the book. 
thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.